I don't need to remind you of the sacrifices that so many of you I know made during the early years of the pandemic, whether it was waiting in line to get a vaccine, whether it was booking your appointment to get so, making the decision to do so, whether it was obeying all the rules that came into place, whether it was you had a small business that you had to shut down or had to adapt to all these different and changing rules, it was tough. But there are a lot of studies coming out now that show that it was worth it. So for all those out there shouting the odds about how it was all so unfair and how it was all so unjust, just remember that 80% of us more got vaccinated. Most of us followed the rules. You know why? Because it mattered. Because if you trust your neighbor, if you love your neighbor, that's what you do. You protect each other. And that's how you protect each other. This wasn't about individual freedoms. This was about saving things. And of course, there were mistakes. So what we'd like to see done now is learn from those mistakes. So we don't have to go through that again, at least not the same way. So it turns out, according to a new study, that Canada handled the first two years of COVID-19 and weathered the ensuing upheaval better than several other nations with comparable healthcare systems and economic infrastructure. A team of Ontario researchers compared data from February 2020 to February 2022 in 11 countries, including us, Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the Netherlands, Sweden, Switzerland, the UK, and the US, all countries with pretty similar economic and healthcare systems, uh, and then published that research in the Canadian Medical Association Journal yesterday. And it shows that we did really well. You know why? Restrictive and persistent public health measures, as well as a successful vaccination campaign. Well, with more on this is Dr. Fahad Razak. He is a scientific director or the scientific director of the Ontario COVID-19 Science Advisory Table and an internist and epidemiologist at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. Thanks for your time. Yeah, great to be with you. So this is a fascinating study. What did you set out to find and who did you look at? So uh, clearly the pandemic has been a brutal period for every country globally. And what we really wanted to know is whether we could compare Canada against other countries to see in this very difficult time how we did relative to others. And for us, finding a reasonable group of countries to compare against was a big challenge. And we thought, what is most important in the pandemic response? You probably want to have countries with similar political and economic systems similar healthcare capacity. So you can't compare us against poorer countries that don't have great hospitals. And the G10 seemed like a reasonable group of countries. Um, so there's actually 11 countries in the G10, even names, even though it's named the G10. And it includes countries like the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Italy, the US. So countries that are similar to us in many important ways. What was the result? Because it, uh, I gather from reading the reports and looking through your report that, um, that Canada fared very well in all this. We did with respect to COVID. So we looked at three three different things. We looked at uh, the impact of the virus itself, the measures we took to control it, so the, the public health measures and the restrictions, and then finally the economic uh, impact. And so starting with the COVID measures, uh, it was striking how well we did. So we had among the lowest rates of infection in the G10. If you compared us, for example, to France, which had the highest rates, uh, over the first two years, if we had the same infection rate as France, we would have had... 9 million more Canadians infected. So, so 25% of the population would have been additionally infected in the first two years if we followed the French course. For death rates, it was even more striking. So the US had the highest death rates, triple what we had in Canada. And if we had a similar course to the US, we would have had 70,000 more Canadians die in the first two years. That, that means that probably most of us would personally know uh, either a family member, let's say a grandparent or someone who's immunocompromised who would have died in the first couple of years who's alive today because our course was different than the U.S. 
you mentioned this in uh, in the report. You called the vaccine rollouts here magic in some ways, how well Canadians responded. And that was despite a patchwork across the country, different health authorities, obviously health is a provincial jurisdiction. Now, what do you what did you see as the key to success there? Yeah, our, our vaccine rollout for dose one and dose two really was quite magical. And the other thing to remember, not only were we a patchwork, we received our vaccines later than many other countries. So if you remember before the vaccines arrived, a tremendous amount of anxiety about the fact that other countries were actively rolling out vaccines. We had still yet to really get ours. And once we received them, we had really only enough doses to roll out probably that first dose to many people not to give that second dose. So a lot of anxiety. But once the vaccines arrived, the Canadian public really did their part. They lined up. There was big events to get people vaccinated. And we quickly raced ahead of many other countries. And by the end of two years, just to give context again, compared to the United States, which was in the mid-60s for second-dose vaccines, we were above 80%. So just an enormous difference. And I imagine what the results of this, of course, uh, whether it be a pressure on the healthcare system, which was already under strain, uh, that there, there were real benefits to just how well Canada performed for the entire system, which meant those who were, got sick had places to go to because fewer people were getting sick. Yeah, so the, the vaccines worked probably together with, with the one other incredibly important strategy in Canada, which was fairly strict and sustained public health measures. So compared to the other countries in the G10, we had among the highest rates of, of business closures, school closures, restrictions on public gatherings, things that made it very hard for uh, people, I have to say, a very difficult time for the Canadian public, but reduced the transmission of the virus. And so vaccine rates being very high plus aggressive public health measures together probably are what are most responsible for reducing the rate of infection. Now, that said, Canada has one of the lowest hospital capacities of any country in the G10. So relative to our population, a very low number of hospital beds. And so even with those restrictions, we had very difficult waves relative to our capacity and then additional extraordinary measures were taken. So for example, in Ontario, we had more than 4,000 patients transferred between hospitals, something that's never happened in Canadian history, in in order to balance the load of admissions. And that was also crucially important. One could only imagine what would have happened if uh, if it had been worse, if it had been like, say, France, if the infection rates had been that high. Yeah, France or Italy or New York State, which saw really near collapse of their hospital sector. Uh, We did not have that here. And to that, I think to the great credit of, again, the public who got vaccinated and who were able to tolerate those restrictions and the healthcare system that really rallied and the public health officials that really rallied at the peaks of each of those crises. One of the things I found interesting in your report was you talked to about the persistence of the measures that were put into place, that many countries would sort of put in strict measures, then ease them and have to deal with the consequences of that, that somehow it was the it was the ability of health authorities across the country to maintain these restrictions that probably did a great deal of good. Yeah, so I think the question going forward is actually what the strategy was. What we observed was very high degree of public health measures implemented. Again, these closures, the restrictions, and a persistence, whereas many countries uh, rocked back and forth between very aggressive clampdowns and then aggressive loosening of those clampdowns, Canada just held at that very high persistent rate. And I think the question going forward now is what among those measures was the most necessary, especially given the level of fatigue and frustration in the public? 
I'm sure because at this point in time, certainly there are concerns I would imagine going forward that, you know, COVID-19 has not left us, uh, that there is a certain amount of fatigue within the population to be able to do something like that again, for instance. Yeah, there's real signs that the incredible solidarity and the rallying of the public has waned significantly. So, um, you know, starting with vaccination, uh, we were at the very top of the G10 for dose one and dose two, but we are solidly middle of the pack now for dose three. And it's not because it's not available. It's because the engagement and the messaging around it is just not there. And we need to figure out how to get the public re-engaged to get that magic we had in the initial rollout. Same thing for the public health measures. For example, we had uh, among the highest rates of school closures in the G10. We know a lot more about the virus now than we did two years ago. We know that airborne transmission is critical. We know that there's important things you can do to reduce airborne transition through air filtration, ventilation, the use of masks during periods of high transmission. So can we keep these critical parts of society open, our businesses, our schools, keep our economy rolling, but still protect the public? I think it can be done, but it requires an aggressive strategy that's very targeted. And certainly I imagine learning from each other as well from different provinces to see which restrictions really worked, which ones were over the top or not necessary, uh, that there's a lot of learning to be done uh, now. Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're doing the same analysis to look across Canada to see the provincial variation, but I think the outlines of the strategy are starting to become very clear. So uh, make sure that you're as vaccinated as possible. Uh, use those really targeted measures to reduce viral transmission. So uh, again, ensuring that air quality is as, as good as it can be in buildings. And remember, this is not just about COVID. It reduces influenza. It reduces other viral infections. There's studies to show that cognitive performance is improved if air quality is better. So there's a lot of benefits from improving air quality. And then we probably, as a culture, need to accept that masks have an important and targeted role, especially when there's rises in viral transmission. I'm speaking with Dr. Fahad Razak. He's scientific director of the Ontario COVID-19 Science Advisory Table and an internist and epidemiologist at St. Mike's Mike's Hospital in Toronto. We're talking about a study that he's just uh, co-authored that found Canada did very well during the the early years of the COVID pandemic in terms of both uh, meeting and getting vaccinated, obeying public health measures, essentially protecting ourselves from this from this virus. When we come back, I know you looked at the economic impact of, as well in this study, and we'll get to that after this. My guest this half hour is Dr. Fahad Razak. He's the scientific director of the Ontario COVID-19 Science Advisory Table and an internist and epidemiologist at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. We're looking at a study that he's co-authored that looked at uh, 11 different countries, very comparable to Canada in many ways, and just how well we did uh, when it came to keeping COVID at bay to a certain extent. mainly due to our ability or our our our, um, our need or our, our being getting vaccinated, but also following public health measures, the persistence of those public health measures uh, that managed to uh, to quell uh, COVID-19, unlike some other places that had higher uh, mortality rates, higher rates of infection. You looked at the financial impact as well, and I gather on that front, Canada did pay a high price for, for all the measures that were put into place. We did. And, uh, you know, I think this, again, is a story of complexity. And so, look, we are experiencing some very difficult times right now. So there is an absolutely blistering inflation rate in Canada. Uh, We're feeling it day to day when you go to the grocery store, when you fill up your car. Uh, What's important to realize is that the inflation phenomena, the, the effects we're feeling are really global. And if you compare us to the G10, we are solidly now middle of the pack for inflation rate. For things like unemployment, which we did have a spike during the early phases of the pandemic, we're now back down to the inflation rates actually pre-pandemic times. And again, very comparable to the rest of the G10. 
The one area where we did clearly worse was around GDP. We experienced the worst GDP contraction of the of the G10, and that, along with the amount of debt spending we had during the pandemic, is important to recognize. So I would say overall, economically middle of the pack, but the one area of probably important concern is our GDP contraction. So if you add it all up, um, it would seem that Canada's performance, although at the time it felt like we were just, I mean, a lot for public health officials, even them were kind of wandering in the dark because it was all so uh, new, uh, that overall the performance was good and there are lessons to be learned. Yeah, that's a good summary. I think there's a lot to be learned. And there's a story that I think has to be messaged and told to the Canadian public, which is, in some ways, look at what you achieve. So through vaccination, through following these measures, we're starting to see these enormous differences between countries. And again, coming down to that 70,000 deaths number, I, that is really unprecedented what was achieved. But we are not through this. And the question really now going forward is, can we do this in a smarter way, achieve all of that benefit that we saw, but yet uh, reduce the uh, the disturbances uh, that we experience in our day-to-day lives? For those who, uh, you know, for the for public health officials out there, for politicians, I imagine the messaging of this has become a challenge and that sharing the good news would be a good thing and reminding people that lessons are being learned here, that we won't have to do everything the same way twice if some of it didn't make sense. That's right. You know, a, a great example of of the lessons learned are, for example, the travel restrictions. We know now that the virus transmits and spreads much faster than we can detect that the variants spread faster than we can detect. Border closures really don't make a lot of sense at this point. They don't buy you a lot of value. They can be very uh, restrictive for businesses, for people who have family abroad. They don't seem to benefit you that much. But on the other hand, investments in air quality, the masking, getting the best vaccines out to people quickly seem to have enormous payoffs. So it's about retrenching around the areas that work the most and about avoiding the disruptions as much as possible for people acknowledging that this may be years still to go. We really don't know. There's no sign that these waves of variants is slowing down right now. Of course, all of us hope it, for it to be over, but we really try and protect our population until it is. Before I let you go, I want to ask you, because the, of course the U.S. has now approved vaccines for children under five or five and under, uh, or under five rather, um, and they've called that the final frontier of vaccinations in the States. Of course, as you pointed out already, vaccination uptake in the States was significantly lower than here. Uh, but is, is that the right move for this country? And how far are we away from, from seeing that happen, do you think? We're probably pretty close to having our under five vaccines approved, and it's going to be an important part of our strategy, but it's really not everything. So along with our under five vaccines, we have to prioritize getting third doses into many adults where there still has not been uptake. So uh, like I said, there's a real opportunity right now to improve the rate of vaccination among adults. Third doses, there's going to be a new generation of vaccines probably available in the fall. We're using our original vaccines from uh, that were developed against the version of the virus that came out of Wuhan in 2020. So vaccination is a portfolio approach. There's going to be vaccines approved for the first time for the under fives. There's still a lot of opportunity to vaccinate five to 11 year olds with their second dose. And for most adults, there's still an opportunity for that third dose. And then in the fall, there'll be this new generation of vaccine. And I suppose the key here will be for public health officials to try again to convince Canadians that these are necessary fiendishly difficult messaging. I I don't envy public health officials for what they're facing. We think that this good news story, and again, it's a relative good news story we suffered, but the fact that Canada did better than these other countries in very significant ways has to be part of the story. 
because when you're asked to make significant sacrifices, I think it's important to recognize what they have achieved already. So in a nutshell, I, I guess Canadians should be should be proud of, of, of how they how they made it through. I mean, part of it was there was a bit of luck in there, I know, and a bit of uh, a bit of good fortune in, in, in our vaccine pickup, because I think because it was restricted, uh, it made people a lot more eager to get it in some strange way. Um, but a good news story. So thank you so much for, for sharing your report with us tonight, Dr. Razak. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ben.